Welcome to the Hustlers Manifesto podcast. We jailbreak from toxic hustle culture. We take Hustler back from the belief that bigger is better, security is contingent on compliance, and freedom is reserved for the powerful. I'm your host, Sarah Duran. I'm not here to tell you how to make a quick buck. I'm here to change the way work is done so we can live more meaningful lives right now instead of betting on an uncertain future. If you value this content, please rate it and comment on this podcast wherever you get it. Thanks for being part of the movement. Hi, Anna. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm trying to be excellent. It's like not quite spring yet here in a suburb of Chicago, but it feels like it's trying really hard. Yeah, it's doing the same thing here. Like it will like be spring and then it will snow and then it will be spring for a day and then it will snow. So, yeah. yep. I'm I'm from the Midwest. You'd think I would be used to it, but every year I'm angry about it. So mm-hmm. Same, same, same. Um, and last year I made the mistake, like I know better than to plant anything before the first week of June. And last year I was like, it's going to be fine. And then it snowed Memorial Day weekend, so... Yep. I get fooled every single year, no matter how long I live in Denver. Um, Well, I am so thrilled that you are here and we will go into all of the, all of the things. But before we do that, I just want to give a shout out to my podcast guest a couple episodes ago, Mr. Corey Fraden, who introduced us and it is like real meta because he we like Corey and I on his episode we're talking about personal connections and the power of them and he you are like a perfect example of like Corey made this like brand he was like I think you might like this person and then you and I had a call and then the rest is history like (laughs) it was just like we totally clicked and hit it off so I just want to like give Corey a shout out before we like dive down deep into the episode. And what was interesting about that call was I assumed that Corey knew you really well. Mm-hmm. He was kind of like, here's my friend, Sarah. And then you and I got on a call and you said, well, I just met Corey like a week ago. <laughs> but that did, didn't stop him from connecting two nope. people that he thought would have something in common and have something to talk about. And he was completely correct. Completely correct. And actually, even after that first call with Corey, I would legit call Corey my friend. So I'm glad that he called me his friend because that first call with Corey, I was like, oh yeah, you know, you just click with people like you and I did. So, um, so yes, I just want to like big shout out to Corey. I think that it's going to be actually a several people that will end up doing podcast episodes that are Corey connections. So just wanted yeah, to just wanted to give him wonderful. a show. He is. A great episode. He is. Um, okay. So let's jump on in. Um, let's start off with the, the three questions that I always start off with at the beginning. Who are you? What is your work? And why do you do it? All right. So I am Anna Burgess Yang. And I am a freelance content marketer and journalist. So I write words all day long for different clients. Um, and I do this work, um, I have always considered myself a writer at heart. If you'd asked me when I was eight years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would have said a writer, but the practical part of me took over. And after I graduated from college, I spent, uh, 15 years in financial technology or FinTech. 
And um, I started doing, you know, implementation of software. And then I became the product manager. And then I was on the executive team. And then I quit my job in early 2021 and joined the Great Resignation and somehow found myself in a writing career. Um, and now do that full time as a freelance writer. Um, so honestly can say like, I never would have expected this, uh, from my career, but I couldn't be happier with what I'm doing now. Yeah. I remember when you and I first talked, um, you still had your like nine to five job, but were like, had a super solid side hustle, um, at the time, which I think makes that leap a little bit easier, a little bit less scary. Um, but tell us about like, tell us about that journey of like, like you said, you know, the adult, the adulting gets the better of us and we start to dream smaller and then your dreams cut up with you <laughs> and you started your side hustle. And then eventually you were like, I'm doing it. I'm taking the leap. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll age myself as an elder millennial and say that, you know, what I was told to do or what I grew up believing was that you get a job and you're loyal to that job and you climb the ranks and that's what you're just supposed to do. And I absolutely followed that path. Um, you know, I graduated from college with an English major, but somehow I knew that writing was a, maybe an unstable career at the time, um, especially, you know, 15 plus years ago. Um, you know, the only viable career path for a writer at the time seemed to be, you know, write for a newspaper or write a book. And I didn't want to do either of those things. Content marketing didn't exist back then. So somehow I found myself in financial technology and it took, literally took the pandemic for me to realize I want to do something else with my life. This isn't for me anymore. Um, it was partly because of the work environment, um, which was very difficult in a lot of respects and internal problems were really exacerbated by the pandemic. So when I thought about changing jobs, I thought, why not? change careers while I'm at it. I don't know. Go big or go home. Um, so I I left a tech job, um, got a job at a, a content agency, uh, spent, you know, about two and a half years at two different content agencies before really going out on my own. But like you said, that whole time I was doing some freelancing on the side. They were truly just uh, people that reached out to me, people in my network that saw that I was writing. They're like, hey, I need someone I can trust. So I was doing this writing, I started a Substack. I started writing on Medium. So yeah, by the time I hit that point where I'm ready to just bust out on my own, it wasn't too scary. And a little bit's because I'm risk averse, but it was fine and it ended up being fine. The side hustle is a really good stepping stone, I think. Um, I think it, it, it just makes it, it makes it feel more realistic. I think when you don't have that it can just it can feel like you're taking a leap like with nothing to leap onto um tell us so when you say content marketing I hear so many people talk about content marketing and I like think that the people I talk to who are content marketers everyone that I know that describes themselves as a content marketer does something slightly different sure so, like when you say content marketing just like tell tell us what that means like what is the day what does a day in the life of Anna look like? 
so most of what I'm writing is for um, companies that are in the financial technology space. So I'm coming to them as an expert. I already know the space really well. I've been in banking since I was 16 years old. I worked at a financial technology company. Um, so there's a lot of nuance to the type of people that are reading that content. They're very knowledgeable. They can't have somebody that doesn't know what they're talking about. So when a company like that looks to work with a freelancer, it doesn't work to just hire any freelancer. You know, no matter how much they research Google, they can't talk the way that that audience understands. So I'm writing a lot of blog posts, um, but typically it's what a content marketer would call the thought leadership category, where you're offering an opinion or a perspective or something unique. It's not just talking about oh, this is how you open a checking account or something like that that's fairly basic. That's a different type of content. Um, so usually I'm doing thought leadership or I'm writing eBooks. Um, that's very, you know, something very educational, something very meaty. Um, I'm writing case studies about, you know, how their clients have seen success with their products. Um, and I do a lot of journalism style features. So I'm ghostwriting for maybe a placement they've gotten in an industry publication. Uh, so I'm speaking for an executive or someone else at the company. Perfect. Um, so you have a sub stack and you have a newsletter and you write on medium. I feel like I'm missing one. Is, is it those three? No, that's, I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, I have, and I have a blog. A, okay. So you're, I think I get two. I, well, and I follow you on medium too, but I think the ones that I always get in my inbox are your sub stack. And your um, newsletter, both of which are di completely different content, but e both of them, every single time I'm like, that, like, yes, like, I just want I like, and I have replied to you multiple times and just been like, yes, yes, yes. Like, thank you. Thank you. So your newsletter is, um, and I'll like, I will let you describe it. But what I always get out of it is these like great recommendations for like, productivity hacks or like platforms, apps, um, things like that. Um, and so why don't you talk about your newsletter first? And then I want to talk about your sub stack because that's like a whole different type of content yeah. um, that I think our audience will be really interested in too. Yeah. So I was a product manager for a long time, um, very tech involved and very workflow involved. You know, I did a lot at the company to improve workflow and pick out tools and things like that. I just love that type of thing. So I started, um, it actually was an offshoot of Medium because I talk on Medium a lot about like tools that freelancers can use or tools to make your life easier. So my newsletter became kind of a, a short version of that, kind of like digestible things like, hey, are you struggling to um, manage this part of your family life, like scheduling your kid's dentist appointment, or are you struggling to keep track of all the podcasts you'd love to listen to? There's an app for that. Um, and so the goal of that is just like, hey, here's something I tripped across. Maybe it'll help you. Um, so it's really, and I, I really hate the term like life hacks because I think it's so overused, but like it works because it's like, here's just a couple of quick things, take it or leave it, but maybe it'll make your day a little easier. Yeah. Almost every single one I have either like subscribe to something or like bought something and it like literally has either made my life easier or like help me concentrate or help my like help my workflow um so almost every single one has given me like a really practical 
thing that I use yeah. now, like every day. Yeah. And that's kind of like my superpower is kind of finding those things and trying those things and figuring out how they work into my day as a freelancer and also managing all this stuff I write and also having three kids. You know, I just like, I need to recapture time in my day. I don't care how much time it is. It's like five minutes. Good. Yep. We'll be happy with that. Yep. Amen. Um, so that is my, that is like the crux of my newsletter. Um, and so a lot of that audience comes from medium, you know, they, they see what I write there, the longer form stuff, and they end up on my, on my newsletter. Substack was born from a very different um, desire. And that was talking about how work really shouldn't suck. And I think that came very much out of the pandemic and my own career pivot and realizing that there are a lot of things that people know, but don't say out loud. Things about how much money they're being paid, things about how do you deal with a toxic manager, toxic coworkers, or being asked to do things that are kind of outside of your skill set or outside of your job requirements. Um, you know, what kind of loyalty should you have to a company? What kind of loyalty should a company have to you? Um, and so um, it became a way for me to just talk about some of these things that one, I had experienced, and two, that I had talked to other people and they were experiencing and just kind of giving a voice to those different stories and those topics. Um, so it, like you said, it's a totally different audience. That's a totally different platform. And I'm completely fine with managing both. They're both things that I'm very passionate about. Yeah. I mean, both of them, I think both of them intersect very, both of them intersect very nicely for like me <laughs> as a human. Like, um, I, like I get so much out of both of them. Um, the, the Substack. I think it's, I mean, A, you write for a living. You're obviously like a very good writer. And so I think like um, that comes out like loud and clear in your sub stack. Um, like it's it's always just like so well-written and like well put together. And you can like see the through line. You can see the story. You can see the, um, the, the lessons and the points as you're going through it. But I think you also, like you said, give this really honest, as honest as possible, which maybe we'll go into next, you give this like as honest as possible look at um, work. And it's, it's hard to be honest about that stuff. I think I, I think and I write a lot about why I and a lot of it didn't recur to me until it was like hindsight. So sure. once I started working for myself, um, and I say this a lot in things that I write, like, it wasn't that I had like a bunch of like terrible work experiences, right? Like I had some of the most like amazing, wonderful people that were my managers and my coworkers that really like helped me grow and develop as a human and as a, you know, as a professional, a lot of whom that I'm still incredibly close friends with today. Um, and with all of that being true, it was still like after I started working for myself after I started my company, looking back, I, and at the level of like freedom I had as a um, independent worker on so many levels was like staggering. Like it, it was, it's like, um, like a fish in water. Like you don't know the water, if you don't know the water's there, if you're a fish, 
because it's just all around you. It's like us with oxygen. Like I just had no idea in an, in a society where we're just conditioned to always think like employees, like you said in the beginning about like you get a job. I think that's changing with generations younger than us. Um, I am also, I, I think, what, did you use elderly oh, millennial? Oh, I usually no, use the elder, word Elder millennial. Elder millennial. Okay. Well, some people call it the Oregon Trail generation. Oh, that's so true. <laughs> so oh, true. Love... Because we had an analog childhood and a digital adulthood. Mm-hmm. And it's a very small, like, micro, micro generation. Yep. Um, That's really unique. You know, yeah. my brother, my brother is six years younger than me. And he had a cell phone, when, a smartphone when he was 16. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a smelt. I didn't have a smartphone until I was like 25. So, yep. you know, his, his just experience was so different than mine, even being just six years younger. Yeah. So I, you know, people said Oregon Trail generation. And now I think the term is elder millennial. Like we're on that. Yeah. End. Yeah. We do not I usually, I usually the word use the word cusp millennial for myself. I think we're yes. like probably very close to the same age. Yes. But yes. so I definitely fall into that category. Like if you can remember having a cassette tape, and then like having cassette yes. tapes and then like a pager and then, <laughs> and, and then not, the I didn't CD have a cell player. phone until college. <laughs> yeah. Or like the CD players where they were um, like the little portable CD. Players. Oh they yes. The just really smell really <laughs> still so that they wouldn't like yep. bounce in the song. Yeah. Skip. Totally. Or I was talking to someone today about T9 word on cell phones. Uh-huh. Did you ever text with T9 word? Yeah. Yep. So you get me. Yeah. Oh, I get you. I get you. And so it's like, it's super interesting. I think it's not just our generation um, or our like sliver of that generation, but it's just interesting that. And I like, I was raised by entrepreneurs. Like my parents have owned their own business my entire life. So it's even like, it was just, it was very strange for, for me one day to real to wake up and realize like, oh man, like I had absolutely no control over anything when I worked for other people and despite the fact that like my, um, mo- the vast majority of my colleagues and all of my bosses, quite frankly, were like wonderful, I still existed in a lot of bureaucratic situations where I watched things happen, where I was like, this isn't cool. Like, that's not okay. Like that guy did a terrible job and he got, you know, quit fired and is just going to go run another company. Like, Right. Because no one's going to talk about the fact that he was like actually terrible at stuff. So it's like I watched all those things happen. And it wasn't until it wasn't until I like saw the other side of the of the wall that I could look back and be like, oh, man, like. And so you you write about so many of those topics in your Substack about how work shouldn't suck. And like I sort of take the, the focus where I'm like working for other people does suck. And that's why I think everyone should work for themselves. <laughs> like that's sort of my MO, yeah. but um, your like your take on it is just so refreshing and honest. Like I said, to the extent that it can be. And I, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily know if everybody should work for themselves. Some people like, you know, safety, stability, but I think that people have the right to look for better work, you know, that you shouldn't, companies aren't necessarily going be loyal to you you shouldn't be loyal to them um you should find work that doesn't suck and there and do whatever you can do to to find that for yourself um unlike you i i my uh, my dad growing up he was the ceo of a nonprofit, 
and he had like basically worked his way up. So that was my model. You know, he'd worked his way up from, um, you know, being, uh, um, he was in social work to running this nonprofit that helped um, a lot of different types of people in the community. And so I was like, wow, you know, you get to the top and you get to make the decisions and you get to influence like how the company is run and things like that. So that was my model. And so that's what I focused on in, in working in tech. Um, and then realized that when you get to the top and I was on an executive team, you still can't always fix internal problems. Um, or if there's still people above you, you can't necessarily influence everything. Um, and also really realized that partly because of the pandemic that I had options. Mm -hmm. You know, I worked for a company that had been remote since 2010. I loved it. I had a lot of freedom. I had a lot of flexibility. It was great as a parent. Um, and not, not a ton of companies were that flexible. I mean, especially in 20, especially for since 2010. Like I think that's since 2010. Yeah. yeah. And I'd been remote, um, since 2006. So, um, giving up that type of freedom was going to be a big trade-off for me, you know, and going, um, to a different company or anything like that. All of a sudden 2020 happened. And it was like so many more companies were now fully remote. So many more companies were hiring. That has since changed in the mm -hmm. tech world, at least. But for this period of time, there were a lot of options, and I began to see the possibilities. And that's kind of what drove me to say, no, work shouldn't suck. And there are a lot of things that suck about what I'm doing, and I'm not happy, and I need to do something else. And I think that you are... Um... I think that in your Substack, one of the things that I always appreciate too is you're really looking at it at your you're doing a really good job of marrying those like individual stories, whether it's your story or other people's stories about work sucking, um, with this like more macro level of looking at like what does that mean for policy or like what does that mean for society or like what does that mean, um, what does that have implications for on the like moving forward into the future um so it's not just like i think we do for sure need a place where we can be more honest um about the ways that work can suck <laughs> because when we all just like sit when you only like can complain to your coworkers at happy hour or like you know texting during that meeting or like on your slack during that zoom call um it doesn't actually change anything, right? And then it's like, it's allowed to just exist behind the curtain um, all the time because no one's able to like, no one can talk about it honestly and freely. Um, and I think something that you said before we hit record too, was that like, that even when you go out on your own, that sort of like, I don't know what the right word is, fear, um, like suppression to a certain extent, but it's, it's not overt, it's like subtle, um, still exists. Um, when you think about like being able to speak openly about like why, what it was like, you know, in the places that you used to work before. Yeah. Someone said to me after reading my stack, he said, I think people feel less alone. 100%. Like whatever experience 
they're having that you talked about that's occurring in maybe a just one text message with somebody, or maybe it's occurring in Slack or something like that, but it's not widely spoken about. Mm -hmm. And so they feel alone, like maybe it's specific to their company, maybe it's specific to their culture, maybe they fear going to another company and experiencing exactly the same thing. And part of that is the suppression thing you talked about. Like, how do you know that you're not going to experience the same thing again? Yes, there's Glassdoor. You know, people can leave all kinds of scathing reviews on there. But, you know, if it's a smaller company, people may not feel safe feeling, you mm -hmm. know, filling, filling out Glassdoor and being completely honest. It'll be too much of a giveaway. And, um, you know, I think people who are in charge, leadership at companies like this, they have a big platform. They have, um, you know, social standing, so to speak. You know, they, they, people believe them, you know, how did they get to be a CEO? Well, they must be doing something right. And so they're able to talk freely in a way that individual contributors or mid-level managers aren't able to. And so, you know, I bring some of those stories sometimes in the third person, you know, into my Substack and talk about that. And what I'm trying to move into is not just my stories, but also asking people to write something from their perspective and be able to share that because it's just really important to me to get that you're not alone mm -hmm. message out there, whether people are thinking about just changing jobs or going out on their own, either way, they know they need a change. I think that's so important too, because when people think, when people think that like this just is the way it is, that like no matter where I go, this is going to exist to some extent. Um, we're just lowering our standards, right? We're just like, exactly. okay, I'm just going to lower, I'm just going to lower the bar for what I think is possible. And like, if I am going to get flexibility, but like the pay isn't going to be great, or I'm going to have to operate within this like crazy bureaucracy, but at least I'm going to have great health insurance. Like, you know what I mean? Like whatever yeah. the, whatever the thing is, or I'm going to have like a really terrible boss, but like I get to work from home all the time, you know? So you just, you lower, you end up lowering your standards when you feel alone because you don't know that there's like better options out there. Um, and I think like, like you said, like being able to speak openly about it also holds um, people that run companies and organizations accountable to ensuring that their workers feel like that their place is a good place to work and not just on paper, but like in reality, right? right? Um, because I think when you're not able to openly talk about it, just like you said, like you you can do all the due diligence in the world when you're going to go get a new job and still end up in a situation where you're like, oh man, like no one told me that it was going to be like this when I got in here. But then you just settle and stay with it because, you know, what's the alternative? Isn't that just like what everything else is? Which is, I think, like sort of what we're conditioned to believe and what the um, the inability to be able to speak openly about it, it breeds that kind of um, secrecy. Yeah. And I think also elder millennials and up are conditioned, maybe millennials as well, are conditioned to believe the job hopping is bad. Yep. 100%. I saw um, a screenshot from a job listing from a company that said no more than three jobs in the past 10 years. I thought, why? 
you have no idea what was going on at a company or why somebody quit, or maybe they got laid off, or maybe they quit because of medical reasons. I mean, who knows? Like that's yeah. pretty presumptive of why somebody left a particular job. So to say like you have no more than three jobs in 10 years. And I'll fully admit that when I was hiring um, many years ago, I did look, you know, kind of gave a side eye to that when I was looking at resume, oh, like they only stayed six months at a job. How loyal are they? Mm-hmm. And I'd been, I'd really been conditioned to believe that that was a bad thing mm-hmm. like, rather than, rather than wondering what was wrong with the company. I yes. wondered what was wrong with the employee. Yep. I'm so ashamed of that now. I know better now. Um, and so there are, you know, there's still some of that guilt, like I, I shouldn't leave this job that I just took because like, it'll look bad on my resume or whatever. Um, and now, you know, even though I may have thought that before, now I've had three jobs in the past two years. Yep. So, um, we have to kind of reframe that thinking that like that job was, is not good. I had a friend that got into a job in like two weeks and she was like, nope, and mm-hmm. left. Mm-hmm. like, absolutely not. I will not stay here. So um, we kind of have to like collectively decide either as individuals, mid-level managers, um, freelancers, that if something's not a good fit, it is okay to walk away from that. Yep. And I think all of that, whether it's like feeling, feeling empowered to leave a job, if you know that it's not the right fit, um, and being, feeling more empowered to like speak openly about shitty job experiences that you've had, both of those things. And I think you've talked about this a lot in your Substack. put, there's this, there's this huge power differential between an employee and an employer. Right. And that's another reason why, I mean, I think you, you give me more hope for like the power, the ability to work for other, for other people to work for other people and to be happy and fulfilled in it. I just, I still feel like pretty skeptical about it because of lots of the things that we've talked about. Um, And that power differential is one of them, which I think both of these, both of these things put, start putting the power back in the hands of the employee. Right. Where it's like, if you feel like you have the power to walk away, um, I think that a lot of, you know, in in theory, um, you can walk away at any time, but you have to think about the implications of that on so many other levels than just like having to go off and find another job. Right. Um, And so you get held you get held hostage to a certain extent in in crappy jobs by a variety of things, whether it's like benefits, whether it's like job security, whether it's like, what is this going to look like on my resume? Um, And you're not able to make decisions about the best way to live your life because you're held hostage by a a company, a boss, you know, an overarching structure of employee-employer relationships. Yeah. And that's where I think side hustles can benefit pretty much anybody. You get laid off. Okay. Maybe you have a little bit of side income. Um, you want to just quit. Okay. You've got some F you money in your mm-hmm. bank account Yep. Um, to kind of help tie you over so that quitting is less scary. Yeah. Um, so, you know, even if somebody says I, I can't, for whatever reason, I need more stability. Um, there is still benefit to doing something on the side, something that makes you happy, something that maybe still brings in some kind of income, but that gives you a lot more power in any situation to just kind of 
walk away and say, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but yeah, I think, you know, my, my whole kind of um, vision behind that is, is giving the power back to people who are doing the work yep. every day, people who are making these companies run as much as the companies think they can run without them. They can't. That's me. And so, um, you know, I want people to realize their power and realize their ability to say no, whether it's saying no on the job, like saying, no, I'm not going to do that work without additional compensation. No, I'm not going to be available 24 seven. No, I'm only going to be, um, work these hours or anything like that. Just say, say no. And then if it becomes too much, say no in a different way, which is walking away. Mm-hmm. I think that is a perfect place to end on. Um, and like I said, I think my MO is always like working for yourself is better, but it is people like you and your Substack that give me hope for the world of people that work for other people. Um, because I think it can be better. Um, but it takes, it takes some conscious effort on both the side of the employee and the employer to make that happen. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's a little more work, I think, to find an employer to really kind of suss out, like, what is that employer really going to mean? Um, but for people who think that's the way I want to go, there is a way to get there. Love it. Hope. Hope. <laughs> all right. Well, we will um, make sure to link to all of the places that you write um, in the show notes. And um, I'm sure we will have you back on in the future. Maybe we'll do a, th- a three-way podcast with Corey and just have like a little Corey reunion. Um, but I appreciate you. Yes, I appreciate thank you. you so much. Glad and I already brought us together. <laughs> Me too. Um, all right. Thanks so much, Anna. Thank you.